Emergency medicine physicians have a sacred commitment to providing the best quality care for their patients, regardless of their ability to pay, treating everyone, uninsured or underinsured, rich or poor, old or young, no cherry picking. So what went wrong in Chicago? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Angela Gardner, President-Elect of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Dr. Gardner is an Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Texas in Galveston. She is a published author, served in many leadership roles at ASAP, and was the national spokesperson for Doctors for Medical Liability Reform. Today we're discussing emergency department diversion and policies at the University of Chicago Medical Center, which have been in the national news and which ultimately affect all of us. Thank you for being with us today on Clinician's Roundtable, Dr. Gardner. Well, thank you for having me. So before we get into the details of what happened in Chicago, tell our listeners who may not be emergency department physicians what diversion is and how it impacts any emergency department that receives ambulances. Diversion is the practice of not accepting an ambulance, and that's the simplified version. What really happens is that when a hospital becomes overwhelmed in the emergency department, that is, they've got too many people to see, too many people in the waiting room, not enough staff to help deal with an emergency, they place the hospital on a diversion status, quote-unquote. It usually goes in a computer data bank. That means that any ambulance coming their way cannot deliver a patient. That's a problem, especially for ambulances that are en route. So you picture this. You're in the back of an ambulance. You decide you want to go to Hospital X, and you tell the driver, I need to go to Hospital X. That's where my doctor is. And the driver says, oh, I'm sorry. We're going to take you 30 minutes away because that hospital's on diversion. So why was it necessary in some EMS networks, and was it ever found to be helpful in the past? We we used to think it was because it gave the emergency department staff a little bit of breathing room so that they could continue delivering acute care. didn't help much with the non-acute care and the walk-ins, but really the thinking on that has changed. Can you elaborate? I can. Diversion first raised its head in the late 80s and early 90s, and at that time when it was relatively new, Ambulances were sent away, and it did give the hospital a little bit of breathing room. The problem is that between 1996 and 2006, the number of ED visits continues to grow by about 3 million patients per year. In the meantime, hospitals are shutting down. So hospitals are now overcrowded all the time, and you reach points where every hospital in the area is on divert, and that doesn't help anybody. Can you give us some background about conditions at the University of Chicago Medical Center regarding overcrowding? Well, this is information that's been in the news, and so I don't think I'm spilling any beans or anything, but the University of Chicago Medical Center has had left-without-being-seen rates of about 10 to 15%. That is, people who come into the hospital ask to be seen. They are seen by a triage nurse and given an acuity level, and then they wait, and after a certain period of time, they say, well, I can't wait anymore and leave. That's the definition of leave without being seen. And is that comparable or not comparable to other level one trauma centers or large hospitals in that area? Well, I don't know about that exact area, but the national left without being seen rate is quoted as being somewhere between 2 and 4%. So what steps did the hospital administration take at that time? Well, the most recent thing that they had done prior to all of this hitting the news was to limit the number of emergency department admissions to the hospital and also have a plan to cut down on their emergency department beds by 30%. 
Now, what was the position of the hospital medical staff? Because I think that was very interesting. And the Department of Emergency Medicine. How many physicians came out and expressed their concerns? Well, the chair of the emergency medicine division, the chief of the department, and the chair of medicine resigned. And about 200 doctors that were in the hospital signed a petition that urged the hospital leadership to reconsider its policy toward the emergency department. Now, all of, in all of this, uh, when it became public knowledge, ASAP stepped in, the American College of Emergency Physicians, on February 19th, and they expressed grave concerns about UCMC's policy toward emergency patients, because really it's a platform and it affects everybody. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Dr. Nicholas Durillis, who is the president of the American College of Emergency Physicians, issued a statement saying that he did not agree with and that the college did not agree with the position that the University of Chicago Medical Center had taken. Can you explain to our listeners what MTALA is and how it impacts a hospital's emergency department policies? Yes. The Emergency Medical Labor and Treatment Act is the long name for MTALA. And what it says is that emergency patients have to be taken care of no matter what. You can imagine that prior to the passage of MTALA, people were asked for their monetary status when they came in. And unfortunately, sometimes they were required to pay large sums of money before they could be seen for an emergency. And that just doesn't ring true. It doesn't pass the Aunt Bessie test. So it's not what you'd want for your Aunt Bessie. Right. I was going to say, can you elaborate on what that is for our listeners, too, the Aunt Bessie test? Yes, that's, uh, that actually is an invention of Nick Derillis as well, who thinks that every policy should pass the Aunt Bessie test. And I agree with that. If, if it's not what you would have for your family then you need to not be doing it. Now, I have read since then that UCMC has rescinded their plan to increase diversion. But what might have been the impact if they had not done so? You mentioned the head of medicine had already resigned and physicians had spoken out and the chief of the emergency department. So if they hadn't rescinded their plan, what would have happened the way they had set things up? Well, of course, no one has a crystal ball. But the main concern was that they already were keeping boarded patients in the emergency department filling about 30% of their beds. Now, a boarded patient is someone who has been admitted to the hospital. So their doctor's been contacted, the decision has been admitted, they are seriously ill, enough to be in the hospital, but there's no bed available. So 30% of their beds were taken up with people who had already been admitted. That only leaves the other two-thirds to be covered by the emergency physicians to see new patients. So if they further reduce those beds, they would be seeing patients in about one-third of the volume or the beds that they had had prior to that. So we think, of course, that their waiting times would have gone up and their left without being seen would have gone up. And liability. Yes, liability. What it means in real time, though, you have to think of this as something more than numbers. What it means is if you're a patient and you go in with a broken arm, they don't tell you that, oh, by the way, 30% of our patients leave without being seen. You wait four, five, six, whatever your level of tolerance is for that, And then you leave. And you've lost that valuable time that you could be seeing a physician who would see you. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Angela Gardner, President-Elect of ASAP, the American College of Emergency Physicians, and we're discussing ambulance diversion policies. Now, borders. Does ASAP have a policy on borders? We do. We have a policy against boarding. It's a multifactorial issue. We don't blame just any one factor for it, but it is something that needs to end. And what are some solutions that have been found effective in any other hospital across the country? 
I'm so glad you asked that question. We actually have an entire report, which you can find on the website at www.acep.org, which lists boarding solutions. And many of them are low-cost or no-cost. I learned of one where admitted patients are actually allowed to go up to the floor and receive floor care in the hallway as opposed to sitting in the emergency room. And that, that study showed no increase in mortality or morbidity. That's right. And you should know that there are studies now that show if you wait in an emergency department after you're admitted, the chances of you going to a nursing home if you're over 65 go up significantly. The number of days that you stay in the hospital goes up significantly just as a result of being in the emergency department. So being in the emergency department is not safer than being in another hallway. Now, another story from February that's been highlighted in the newspapers involved a 12-year-old boy who was bitten by a dog on the lips and subsequently went out. He would have been a walk-in to the emergency department. So could diversion policies have affected his care? It would have affected his care in that if the hospital had been on diversion, they might have had more ability to see him. If they actually had to accept other patients, they might have had less ability to see him. But the overall change that we hope to see is not just in the everyday basis, but in the general approach to emergency patients. Hospitals need to be prepared for emergency patients. They are coming, and hospitals need to take care of them. And unfortunately, emergency departments are seen as an extension of the hospital. What they're actually designed for is delivering high-quality acute care. When they're pressed into taking care of boarders and admitted patients, something's got to give. That's exactly right. And one of the issues that we have is that emergency physicians by nature are used to and trained to deal with multiple patients in many levels of acuity in a rapidly changing environment. And that is what we are trained to do. And our colleagues in the department, the nurses and the techs and the people who do the administrative support are all trained to do the same thing. And we think that we're very, very good at our job. Unfortunately, when those same people are then pressed into duty providing routine care, they're taken out of their element. It's like asking a surgeon to become a pediatrician. I think that's a great example. It's not, it's not what we're trained to do. It's not what we're equipped to do. And pressure builds up and something's going to give, someone's going to make a mistake. I think that's exactly right. And there's this prevalent thinking that people are safer in the ER. Oh, the ER can handle it. But you know, the ER has limits as well. Now, do diversion policies only impact the poorer inner city populations? That's where a lot of our level one trauma centers are and not the community hospitals. But aren't the issues at UCMC really everybody's problem? They are everybody's problem. And If you tuned in to the release of the National Report Card by ASAP in December, you saw a speaker who is a businesswoman from here in Dallas who had a daughter with a seizure disorder, and she described in very emotional terms the terror of being in an ambulance with her daughter who was seizing and would not stop seizing and not having a hospital that would take them. We talked a lot about ASAP, but does the AMA ever weigh in on key emergency department issues like diversion and borders? Because they do impact medical staff, and they do impact other patients. Yes, they do. And our colleagues in medicine are working with us to try to find solutions to these problems. We also work with the hospital associations. I don't want to paint this as a totally adversarial relationship. The hospitals are working to do the best they can to take care of patients as well. It's just that we all have to work together in this effort. So what are some of the proposed solutions on the table that impact emergency department health care delivery? 
Well, ASAP has a bill that they have brought to the Congress, and we've been lucky enough to find some wonderful sponsors, and Senator Stabenow, Inspector, and Representatives Gordon and Sessions, who brought up the Access to Emergency Medical Services Act. And it has several provisions to improve emergency care. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Be happy to. It calls for the creation of a national bipartisan commission on access to emergency medical services. This is not an easy issue, and we need both parties to take a look at what's going on. It looks at the factors that affect delivery of care in the U.S. emergency departments, such as boarding or holding patients. It calls for additional resources to help support the delivery of emergency care, and it calls for the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services to collect data on emergency department boarding so that standards and guidelines can be developed. Right now, no one's looking at this issue. Everyone knows a story of someone who stayed in the emergency department waiting for a bed, but there is no national clearinghouse for the information. I believe I would be correct in saying that for years, 5, 10, 15 years, borders have been a problem. Lack of hospital beds for admitted patients to go to has been an issue, and it really doesn't get adequately addressed, whether it's a county hospital, a private hospital. Some places money helps a little bit. Some places it really doesn't matter. What do you see for the future that's going to make a difference in terms of recognition of a problem that's impacting every patient in the ER and the medical staff? Well, I'm going to tell you the dirty little secret. Tell us the dirty little secret. The dirty little secret in medicine is that the reason there are no beds includes the fact that there are people who haven't gone home yet, but it also includes the fact that hospitals hold beds for patients that are paying patients. And I don't mean emergency to patients. I mean patients who are scheduled for surgery the next day. And if you're a hospital administrator, this makes sense. You have a a patient who's been promised a surgery. The payment is guaranteed. They're expecting that surgery. Your surgeon's expecting to do it. And so it would make sense to hold a bed for that patient. In the meantime... Anyone who comes in your emergency department, regardless of their ability to pay, is waiting for a bed because there are none. So you can see that this is not an easy issue, but money is the issue. The trouble is you could be a millionaire and have a heart attack and end up being one of those patients in the ER who's not getting a bed because the hospital's holding bed for their paying patients. Thanks, Dr. Gardner, for being our guest. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with Dr. Angela Gardner from UT Galveston. We've been discussing ambulance diversion policies and the University of Chicago Medical Center, issues that affect all of us. I am Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, on the air, online, and on demand. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our entire library of podcasts. Thank you for listening.